I'm going to invite Ashley to come up now. And Ashley Spilker is going to read our scripture for us this morning. Uh, it's going to be out of Luke 11. And uh, it's just one verse. So I know we talked about reading Psalm 1. Don't do that. Just read Luke 1, verse 1. I think it took me longer to walk up here. <laughs> That's probably <laughs> true, but... <laughs> Luke 11, 1. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Will you just read it one more time? <laughs> We've got to make the trek up here worth it, yeah. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished... One of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Thanks, Ash. Pray with me. Father, we, uh, we're thankful for your word. And Lord, ask that you would make this morning through your Holy Spirit uh, the prayer of the disciples uh, our prayer. We trust that you're here, Lord, that you're moving, that you're speaking uh, and ask that you would, yeah, we trust that you would do that this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. I know that is a, a pretty uh, drastic departure from us being in Genesis, where we were reading large chapters of scripture with very confusing names, but uh, that's because we're in a new sermon series for the summer. And what we're gonna be talking about this summer, we're gonna spend all summer talking about prayer, and more specifically, the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and because this is something, I'm, I'm really excited for this sermon series because it's something that I, I mean, all of what we do here is relevant. That's why we're doing it, because it matters for our lives. But what is true about us as people is that we are all people who are desperate for connection with the transcendent. That's true about us as people. And that was on uh, grand display for us last weekend when there were more people in Nashville than, uh, than even the NFL draft. People were pouring into Nashville because they wanted to experience something transcendent. That's what the Taylor Swift concert was all about. All three nights. Is people were coming to experience something that took them out of their isolation in their individual lives into a part of something that was bigger than them. That's why we go to concerts. In an age when we could watch a recorded version of the concert, we don't want to do that. We want to be, a, maybe you don't want to go to the Taylor Swift concert, but you want to be a part of something, right, that's bigger than yourself. And were any of you there on Sunday night? Okay, a few of us, yes, when it was pouring rain. And this, this experience that you would think would have been an objectively awful experience, being soaked in the middle of this concert. But I will ask the people who were there that Sunday night, was it amazing? Yes, okay, we've got personal testimony this morning, the fact that that was amazing. Why is that? Because in the middle of all of the craziness of it, 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 there is this sense of we're here, we're doing something special, something that's outside of our everyday experience, something that's pulling us up and making us a part of something bigger, and because of its uniqueness, because of the rain, it was even more special. Okay, but if Taylor Swift is not your thing, there were also graduations that were happening last weekend, right? Vanderbilt's graduation was happening, TSU's graduation was happening, and Oprah was speaking at... TSU's graduation, way cooler than Vanderbilt. <laughs> and people poured in for those graduations, and they were there not to hear someone stand up and say, uh, guys, you worked hard for four years, so now go out and live for yourself. Just go and be selfish. No, 
No one says that at graduation. Even if that's the way you live, you don't expect that. Someone gets up there and they say, you go out there and you live your dreams. You make a difference. You do something good and beneficial for the world. They're saying, you go out and be a part of something bigger than you. That's what graduations are. They're a call to the transcendent. And if Taylor Swift, right, is not your thing, uh, there is the NSC match. Which is the same thing at a sporting event, is to go and to be a part of something that is bigger than you, something that's connected to people in all different parts of the world and country, fans who are coming together who are cheering for something. And there's this feeling of, I'm a part of something bigger than me. That even as our churches are shrinking or, or closing or being turned into hotels, like is happening in East Nashville, right? It's not because we've lost a desire to connect with the transcendent. It's just we've pushed it to other places. That's why the stadiums that we are building here in Nashville keep getting bigger. Because we want to pack as many people as possible into those transcendent experiences. We want to be a part of something that is bigger than us. That is what prayer is all about that prayer is us reaching up into the transcendent and trying to pull it down into our lives. And ever since there have been people in the world, uh, people have been praying. It's a fundamental part of, of, of cultures across space and time. If you go back in the archaeological record and you find any civilization that we have any amount of information about, what you are always going to find is that they were, there were religious ceremonies. There were ways that the people of that culture engaged in prayer. Because part of being human is this desire to reach up and be a part of something transcendent, part of something that is bigger than us. But what if the transcendent has come down? What if we don't have to reach up to pull it down, but what if it has come down for us? What if it has reached down to us? Now, if that were the case, it would totally reorient our approach to prayer, wouldn't it? It would totally reorient our approach to a lot of things. Prayer would be one of those things. We would have to be taught to pray in an entirely new way because we wouldn't be trying to get God to come down and do something for us. We would be responding to the God who has already come. That's more or less what the disciples are realizing and are crying out in this passage when they say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. The transcendent has come down, and so they are realizing we need to pray differently. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus' response to that is to give them the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, it shows up two times in the Gospels. It shows up once in Luke, and it's this kind of shorter version that's, uh, that's got this question as a preamble. And then it shows up in Matthew as a part of the Sermon on the Mount. So this summer, we're going to be working through the longer version in Matthew. But this morning, that, that initial prompt, that preamble, Lord, teach us to pray, has got to be where we start the series. And my hope this morning, my hope, my prayer, is that you would leave here praying what the disciples asked. That you would leave here and that the cry on your heart this week would be, Lord, teach us to pray.
Because I will tell you, guys, I have zero interest in coming here on a Sunday morning and just telling you facts, like filling your head, my head, during the week with various people's ideas about prayer. You can get that from a podcast. What we believe is happening here is the Holy Spirit is showing up and that he wants to do something in us. Our hope and prayer for this summer is that as we study the Lord's Prayer, as we are moved on by the Holy Spirit, that something in us would change. That we would be a different people at the end of the summer than at the beginning of the summer, and that that would happen because we're taking what we're talking about in here, what God is speaking to us through his word, and we're, we're learning how to live out of it in our lives. And for that to happen, we've got to have this, this, this desire to be taught by God, that we would say to God, Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. So here in this very short verse this morning, uh, I'm going to draw out just two main elements that, that we see in this verse. The first is the humility of the request. The humility of the request of this one disciple saying, Lord, teach us to pray. And then we're going to talk about the relational frame that, uh, that this request sets up and kind of falls within the relational context of this request. So the humility of the request and the relational frame for this request. Okay, so let's talk about the humility first. Lord, teach us to pray. If you were to sit with that, if you sit with that request long enough, I think what it would push up in you, what it pushed up in me this week, is resistance. Teach us to pray. I don't know if I need that. And here's why I think that request pushes up resistance in us. It's because we live in a culture where the highest value, our highest value, is authenticity. The most important thing that we can do in our lives is to be true to ourselves and express ourselves. Right? That's, that's, that's the world that we live in. That's the, that's the water that we swim in. That's almost so familiar to us, we don't recognize it. And our spirituality is a blank canvas on which we seek to live out our authenticity. There's almost no other realm in our lives where, we, where it's more important to us to live out who we truly are. But it's in the realm of the spirituality that, that our value of authenticity kind of reaches its pinnacle. And if that's the case, then when it comes to expressing myself and my spirituality, I don't need to be instructed, thank you very much. What I need to do is to discover myself. Yeah, we'll read the books, right, or the podcasts. Let people weigh in. But the way that we'll gauge being taught about prayers, we'll ask ourselves, how does this feel to me? Does this feel true? Does it feel consistent with my spiritual life? And if it doesn't, I'll reject it. It's like hiring a prayer consultant. Everyone knows what a consultant does. You pay a consultant to come in and tell you what you already know. Tell it to you and tell it to your boss, right? And then your boss or you may or may not do what the consultant says. You might just put that file in a drawer and shut it. Thank you for the advice. I can say that because I was briefly a consultant, okay? And that's the way that we can approach anybody who is trying to teach us anything about our spiritual life. Thank you for the advice, and I'll put it in a drawer. Okay, but here's the problem with that. What we just talked about is that it, as people, we are desperate to experience the transcendent. 
that what we want is to get outside of ourselves, right? And, and we know that the place to do that is in this realm of spirituality, however it is you define it. That's the way that we, we experience the most kind of intense way of, of just getting out of ourselves. And yet, in that space, what we are saying is our highest value is self-expression. Now, how does that work? It doesn't. Because there's no, we're caught in this prison of our own self-expression, of our own authenticity. We can't be pulled out of that into something bigger than ourselves when all we can see is ourselves. When our highest value of our spirituality is our self-expression, all that God becomes is a mirror holding up and showing us us. We're creating a barrier to the very thing that we most desire. Lord, teach us to pray. We've got to talk about another block, though, that can easily kind of keep us from prayer. Another way that pride expresses itself in our lives and resists this request, and it's called shame. Because all shame is is pride's cloak. It's just pride wearing different clothes. When you hear the request, Lord, teach us to pray, does that start uh, any narratives of shoulds in your life? Yeah, I could pray that, but I should already know how to do this. I should be better at praying. I've been a Christian for a long time. I should be more disciplined in my life. Whenever you start shoulding all over yourself, okay, it's a good indication that what is operating is what we would call toxic shame. Right? Shame can be a good thing. Shame is what would even draw us to pray this request in the first place. Lord, teach us to pray. That's me recognizing in a healthy sense of shame, I have limits and I need to grow. But toxic shame is when all those shoulds start piling up on me. I should know this. What if other people find out that I actually have no idea what I'm doing when I pray? Like here, you know? If you were to admit to the people around you, you have no idea what you're doing. And here's the thing. These people don't care about that half as much as you care about that for yourself. Because so often what we are trying to protect, what I am trying to protect with all of my shoulds is my idea of myself. And what that shame does is it blocks any kind of learning that would take place in our lives. Like, for example, I am ashamed to admit to you, I have zero idea how to change the tube on a bike tire. And I own a bike, like an adult bike to go fast on. I have no idea how to do it. Two years ago, I did the, the Tour de Nash, and I got a flat tire. And the friends that I was riding with had to stop and literally change it for me. And I was like, yeah, cool, I like learning from this. No, I wasn't. I had no idea what was happening. And then I thought, you know what I should do? I should now go home, and I should watch some YouTube videos, and I should really learn this because this is embarrassing. But did I do that? No. I'm so embarrassed about it, all I'll do is take it to the Shelby Avenue Bike Company and have them do it for me. Because that's what shame does. Shame never motivates us to actually grow. All shame does is it keeps us hiding. And so when you keep, when, I mean, as soon as we're talking about prayer, I'm sure there are some of you who this is internal, oh, when the shame starts to rear up. That's, that is not what this is about. 
this is a this is a humble request lord teach us to pray and the question we've got to ask is okay what what happened in the disciples that would draw them because they were pride for they were prideful people just like us right what would draw them out of their pride in to this very humble request lord teach us to pray There was something that drew them out of their pride. There was someone who drew them out of their pride. Who do you think that person was? I'll just give you one more chance. Who do you think that person was, everyone? Jesus, we're at church for crying out loud. That's always the answer when I ask you for a person. It was Jesus. But here's what they saw with Jesus. They saw someone who prayed like they had never seen anyone pray before. Luke 5, 16 tells us this, but he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. It was the regular practice of Jesus to go away by himself to get in a desolate place and to pray. And his disciples saw that, and they saw something that was different than what they had seen in the world around them. Because what they were used to, and we know this from Jesus' teaching, what they were used to is religious people who would get up on street corners and would raise their hands and would pray in front of everybody else because they wanted people to see them praying. That's not what Jesus did. They would be surprised, like, where did Jesus go? They're like, oh, he's praying again. Because he would go by himself to a desolate place to pray. Jesus also teaches the disciples later. He says, don't pray like the Gentiles, like us, most of us, I don't know, who heap up empty phrases, who think they are heard because of their many words, which tells us that was a prayer culture that these disciples were used to. They were used to seeing people pray and praying in very articulate, very beautiful ways, the way that people pray sometimes in your small group when you're sitting there at the end and people are praying and you're like, I should have gone before that person. I can't pray like that. Do you ever have that experience? Yeah, okay, no shade on the beautiful prayers here. That's not what this is about. But the disciples saw something different with Jesus. Someone who's withdrawing to a desolate place to pray and that when they heard him pray, because believe me, the disciples heard Jesus pray. What they heard was something very different than the world around them. What they heard was something simple, something direct, something unaffected and unadorned. And it made them curious. But it's not just that they saw Jesus pray, it's that they heard the fruit of Jesus' prayer, they saw the fruit of Jesus' prayer in his life. And what they saw in Jesus was someone who was uh, constantly, uh, but had, had this deep wellspring of joy that could not be quenched. They saw someone who in the midst of incredibly challenging circumstances uh, remained calm. They saw someone who always knew what he was doing and where he was going. And they heard Jesus, they saw Jesus live out a relationship with God the Father that they could not fathom. Jesus is always talking about his relationship to God the Father. He tells the disciples, everything I have heard from God I've made known to you. I have done everything the Father has given me to do. Over and over again, Jesus reveals to the disciples in his word, in his words to them, this intimate connection that he has with God the Father. And they're looking at that, they're seeing it, they're hearing it, and they're saying, we want that. Lord, teach us to pray. And what he's doing is he's drawing them out of their shame. 
Lord, teach us to pray. And when they say it, guys, the disciples, they ask all kinds of things in the Gospels that Jesus is like, no, that's a bad question, right? And he rebukes them. Who's the greatest? And Jesus is like, no, no, no. This kid, you know, he does the whole thing, the Jesus thing. Other times they ask, like, Jesus, when are you coming back? And then he gets all opaque. Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? All, all kinds of times they ask the wrong questions. This time they ask a question, and you know what Jesus does? He just gives them what they ask for. Lord, teach us to pray. And then, here, I'll just read you the, next, the very next verse. Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say. He just answered them. He's like, yes, you're asking the right question. This is the only time the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to do something. And he says, yes, let me teach you about it. That Jesus is so pumped to teach the disciples how to pray. And what that does is it, it kills that, that pride, the shame that would keep us away from Jesus because we have all of, the, again, all of these shoulds that pile up on us, all the ways we should already know how to do this. And Jesus says, let's just put that to the side and rejoice in the fact that just today what you're saying is, Lord, teach me to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Praise God that Jesus is eager to meet the disciples there. There is nothing he would rather do than teach them to pray. And what that invites in us is that same kind of humble response that we would say to Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. That's the humble request. Let's talk about the relational frame of that request. Lord, teach us to pray. Because the disciples, what they, what they're, they're asking um, a person to teach them this, Jesus. And then he teaches them. And this is so different than the way that we often ask to be taught things. Like if I want to be taught things, like let's say how to change a bike tire, uh, and I'm ashamed to ask, I'll just go on the internet and find a YouTube video or a subreddit that will answer my question for me. Because what I'm learning, what we are often learning is techniques. You don't have to learn techniques from a person. You can read it from an instruction manual. And that's often the way that we treat prayer. As religious people, religious people in the world often treat prayer this way, as if, as if prayer is something that you need, you need the right technique with. As if what we're trying to do is to move God to do what we want. Like if I can do something for God, then God will do something for me. So just tell me, what are the things I need to do for God in my prayer? Pray more? Pray the right way? Pray the formula? Pray the axe method or the cat's method or the, ta the tax method? Whatever it is. Just give me the method so I can know what I need to do for God so that God can do what I want him to do for me. That's not a relationship. That's transactional. That's a technique. But that's true also kind of out in the secular world, right? Uh, I don't know if any of you are watching Survivor this season, but you know, obviously, that I am, okay? And uh, we're, we only have got one episode left. It's coming out on Wednesday. It's very exciting. But what happens every, uh, every morning, all of the castaways, they gather on the beach together, and they all practice meditation together. And for whatever reason, on this season, the people who are left all have a lot of experience meditating. And so they take turns leading the group in, in morning meditations, 
And the technique of meditation is very important. Because what you are doing in meditation is you connect with the transcendent is, is really what we are often doing is trying to, uh, to reach an, a level of emotion, emotional homeostasis, which is very important in the game of survivor, but also important in life, okay? And so we're asking, te te we can say teach us, but what we're saying is teach us the technique so that I can go off and do on my own uh, what I need to do to regulate my own emotion. What Jesus is inviting us to is something totally different. This isn't about a transaction. This isn't about a technique that when the disciples say, Lord, teach us to pray, yes, Jesus gives them a prayer, but he is giving them so much more. He's given them his life. Because to be taught to pray is to be invited into the art of relationship with God. And that is something that we've got to be trained in. But it's not simply the right words. It's us being transformed as people into a praying people. There's a Latin phrase that I forgot to write down, so I won't say it to you in Latin. But essentially, it says uh, that the rule of prayer is the rule of life and is the rule of living. The rule of prayer is the rule of believing is the, is the rule of living. That how we pray shapes what we believe, shapes how we live. And that how we live shapes what we believe, shapes what we pray. That all of, all of these elements, all these components of our life, our prayers, our beliefs, our living, they're all interconnected. And so to ask the Lord, Lord, teach us to pray, is to say, Lord, would you transform me? Would you make me, would you make us into a prayerful people? We're submitting our whole selves to the Lord to be taught to be a people who would pray to see the world from the lens of the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father. We're being taught how to be in relationship. And as many of you know from being in any kind of relationship, uh, relationships take work. And sometimes you mess them up. That we are all being taught how to be in relationship all the time, and it's so much more than technique. Great, great. But how do we do that? Because we're not like walking literally with Jesus in ancient Near East. So how are we supposed to learn to pray? How are we supposed to learn about how to be in this relationship? Because that's what the word of God is for. Because to be in a relationship means you speak and someone speaks back. That's how relationships work. And I don't know, depending on kind of the Christian tradition that you've grown up in, there can be a sense that the way that God speaks to us, we've got to figure that out by the way that we feel all the time. And God can certainly speak to us in those ways, but it's really tricky when you get into those situations where you're wondering, did God speak to me or am I just speaking to me? Am I simply hearing what I want God to be saying to me? The best filter for that is God's word because we know God has said this stuff. And it's important that our faith, our communication with God, our prayers to him be grounded in what's true because there will be times that it does not feel like God is your father. And if what defines your spiritual reality is your feeling, it will be, it will be very difficult to hold on to those truths when you need them the most. That God's word is the way that he speaks to us and grounds us in prayer. Psalm 1 talks about this. The psalm that I almost had Ashley read us earlier. 
said, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but like chaff, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Tim Keller, in a sermon that he preached about prayer, he talks about this psalm and how this psalm is not really a prayer, but is an introduction into God's prayer book, the Psalms. And as the introduction to God's prayer book, what the psalmist is saying is that, that before we pray or as we pray, that what, we are, what, what we've got to learn to do is root ourselves deeply in God's word to be a people who would meditate on God's word, who would think about it, who would let it, let it shape our heads and our hearts. Really, what he was saying is that it's in God's word that we hear God speaking to us and that we learn how to respond to him. So God's word, it teaches us what God is saying to us so that we can speak back, but it also teaches us how to speak back to God. Because if you were in a relationship, you know that when you're in a relationship, the way that you talk, it's got to change. Like, for example, when my wife and I were getting married, and she said to me, uh, which color of these invitations do you think we should use? And I said, I don't care. Not a good thing to say, Okay. Lots of other better things to say. For example, I trust you to make a decision about this. That's a way better thing to say, but I didn't know that then, okay? Right? I had to learn how to be in a relationship. Or like when she said, hey, we have a kid now, and so I'm going to do something without the kid. Will you watch our kid? And I said, I'd be happy to babysit. <laughs> Yee. Okay, now you all, if you have a kid and you're a man, you know you've said that too, so don't look at me like that. <laughs> But I had, to, I, seriously, I had to learn how to speak to someone in a relationship. It had to change. That's what the Psalms do for us, is they're not only God speaking to us, but they teach us how to speak back to God in a way that is honest about where we are and is, it still keeps our eyes on what is true about God. Like, have you ever been angry at God and not known how to put that into words? Like, maybe you've wondered, is it okay for me to be angry at God? How do I express being angry at God? When you read the Psalms, it shows you how to do that. Have you ever been so sad that you have no words? The Psalms give us words when we have no words. Have you ever been so joyful when you're out on a beautiful day like this in creation? You think, this is amazing. How do I express that joy to God? The Psalms teach us how to do that. And yes, the spontaneous outpourings of our hearts are appropriate ways to respond to God. And there is more for us in the scriptures to be taught and tutored in the way that we would approach God in prayer, which is why on your seats, there are those nice cardstock bookmarks. Here's the tie into those, Okay. That as we study the Lord's Prayer this summer, what I want to invite you to do is to also pray through the Psalms. So that little bookmark has like a, a different um, setup for each day. Day one, day two, day three, that has a Psalm and the Lord's Prayer in the, in the middle of the day and then a Psalm at the end. Now, just before you get all shitty on yourself, okay, just let me remind you that this is not an invitation to beat yourself up about how you don't pray enough. This is an invitation into having your heart and your mind trained by God's word and hearing from him and then expressing yourself back to him. You want to follow along? I think you can, like, check them off as you go. 
Uh, and if you don't want to do that, that's fine. You can leave it on the table on the way out. If you miss a day, a few days, a week, that's okay. You're free to pick it back up the next day, start where you left off, start further in. I don't care. But this is an invitation, just a way to help us as we're spending this summer asking the Lord, Lord, teach us to pray, uh, to learn. So I'm going to invite my friend Beth Farquhar to come up, and I want you guys to hear just from somebody else talking about prayer uh, in their life. And so Beth led, led for us uh, a women's kind of mid-morning prayer we decided that was like this fall, right? Yeah, yeah it was very recent. Uh, and we're going to sit down. I don't know if this is the right way to do this or not, but I'm going to ask a few questions uh, and just want you to hear Beth talk about what prayer has looked like lived out in her life. Sound good? Yeah. Okay. Uh, let me turn your mic on for you. There you go. Okay. Thanks. Nice. Right. So Beth, my first question is, uh, what do you love about prayer? You can talk to them, yeah. This chair is tall. Um, I love uh, about prayer that... Hold it closer, yeah. ...that we get to. That, like you said, it's an invitation. That um, once I really started believing what God said about me was true, that I'm fully known and fully loved, that... I didn't have to pretty up, I didn't have to fix things, I didn't have to hide, that I could just be before him and be loved. And then, and it, so it's a response to his love for me that I love to go to that safe place. And you mentioned the Psalm, Psalm, 4610, be still and know. And we see that everywhere, right? It's on pillows, it's on a coffee mug. But it doesn't say what's next often. It's be still and know that I am God. And so I took that literally. I mean, I still take it literally oftentimes and go, I don't know what to say, Lord. I'm, but you're God. And like you said, sometimes words, sometimes without words, sometimes gut-wrenching emotion, fear, joy. I love that. I'm so thankful that we are invited, that he says, come, come. So about hearing that, uh, what I hear is kind of what we talked about with the disciples, people who saw uh, Jesus experiencing relationship with God, and that's kind of what you're expressing is your experience of relationship with God through prayer. Would you tell us a little bit about how you learned to pray? Oh, I learned, I think I read some books. I think I wanted to know to do it right, well. Uh, and those were just really flat. You've, you've said that. and. I started noticing the prayers in scripture and how they are so varied. Like we've talked about, some are very eloquent, beautiful, um, full of praise, and some are help, and some are just anguish of the heart, no words. Um, and I think hearing other 
other mature believers pray and how they were using scripture, I'd start to recognize scripture. And I mean, I knew that was God's will if it's in his word. So I, I like to listen to particularly older women when they would pray and, and they'd, they'd really leave it with the Lord. So I learned that from them, and um, I love when we pray corporately, feeling that we join with all those that came before us in that, that time of prayer and remembering how needy we are and how much he's given us in him. Yeah. And what you're talking about is learning to pray in the context of relationship, right? Of, Yes. Relationship with God through his word, relationship with other believers or the people that are here in a service. And I'm curious, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but will you just talk to us about the role that God's word has played in your prayer life? Yeah, so when we see, you know, there's a lot of freedom in reading David's prayers to the Lord. Um, like he's mad and he just lets him have it. And I'm like, whoa, I mean, that's King David. So that was, you know, we see the truth. And again, that um, freedom of being fully known and fully loved by him. And that's the relationship part, that I can be messy and fearful and still be loved and cherished by him. And he has a plan because I remember that he's God. And you just see that over and over in scripture. And, um, you know, I just clung to Psalm 103 kind of in my midlife. Um, and that's a prayer um, because it says, you've redeemed my life from the pit. And I'm going, wait a second, I think I'm still in the pit. What about this? And, um, I've had two cancers, um, a breast cancer first, and then two years later, colon cancer. And at that time, early on, they said my colon cancer was stage four. And so I was having to let my work know about that, that I wasn't gonna be showing up to teach preschool. And one of my fellow workers called and she said, Beth, I don't know what to say, but let me pray for you. And she opened up her Bible to Psalm 46, and we had been memorizing that with school-wide with our little kids, with hand motions, the whole bit. Um, but she prayed 46, Psalm 46, with my name in there, and that changed my life. That burst open the scriptures for me to put myself in them in that very personal way, in that very fearful time. I was okay to die, but I wanted to live. Uh, and that was really just so life-changing. And I think I've talked about the roller scripture, and so. <laughs> thanks, Beth. Yeah, thanks. You guys can we clap for Beth, huh?
Because that is our hope, is that as we come to the Lord and say, Lord, teach us to pray, that he would meet us there. And what you've got to know as we start this journey, and, and Beth was talking about it, is that the conversation that we are entering, entering into when we pray is a conversation that God has already started. He did it uh, when he spoke the world into existence, and he's done it for us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. That Jesus putting on flesh and coming among us, God descending is the transcendent, becoming a person and living among us to teach us to pray that God has already started the conversation with us, that if you are here and you're approaching God in faith through Jesus Christ, that is his work in you already. He is already there speaking to you and speaking on your behalf. That when you come to God in prayer, all you are doing is learning to respond to the God who has already been speaking to you. And that takes the pressure off. You don't have to get God's attention somehow get him to pay attention to you, he has already given you more than you could ever ask or imagine. And he's given it to you through his son, through the word, come among us, put on flesh. When we respond to him in prayer, we are entering into that loving relationship that Beth has talked about. We're reminding ourselves of what we already know is true. We're letting him remind us of what we already know is true that Jesus has opened up the way for us to, to talk with God, not just to talk to him, but to be with him forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you for the way that you speak it to us, Lord, and thank you for such faithful people like Beth, uh, for the testimony of her life, for the ways you've healed her, worked in her, Lord, uh, and taught her to pray. Lord, we pray that you would teach us to pray. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.